So obviously want to uh, dig into the new album, Nefarious Wave, and talk a little bit about, uh, well, music, because ultimately <laughs> you're a music fan, I'm a music fan, that's that's why we do what we do. But I want Absolutely. I want to go back to the beginning, the very beginning, kind of, because I'm a guy that played drums as a kid in high school and college and bands and stuff, and, and I, I wanted to learn about this transition you made as a former drummer to frontman singer guitarist was it just you got tired of carrying in the drums or staring at other dudes butts or or you had something to say that you had to convey i'm way too pretty to be stuck behind drums <laughs> <laughs> i'd always play guitar I, I taught myself how to play guitar and drums right around the same time and never really had a preference uh i grew up in a really small town upstate new york where there really was not, not a lot of uh, other musicians, but when I did finally meet other other musicians, everybody played guitar. You know, it was like you put a band together and everybody plays guitar. So I really was like, well, I'm, you know, I'm just going to do this drum thing. And, and I, you know, really love playing, especially heavy drums and playing in metal bands. And, and I think in all the bands that I had played in, I'd always had a hand in the songwriting, whether it was, you know, kind of bringing guitar ideas in or showing somebody, oh, if you do this instead of that. So really was after a while, I just, it, it wasn't a, a losing passion of the drums. Just like, man, I've done this and it's a lot of fun. And I used to do session work and was able to tour Europe, you know, kind of uh, being a hired gun playing drums. And I just felt like I'd done that. And, and I really wanted to explore the other side, which was, you know, being completely responsible for the guitar. And and really uh, for these, you know, our first two records, you know, I, I wrote all the songs. Phil, the drummer, was uh, really instrumental in, in helping shape a lot of things. But it was, you know, it was primarily me writing on guitar. And, and it felt like it felt really comfortable, you know. Well, obviously, uh, it, it's sounding great and working out. And it you know worked out for that one guy, Dave Grohl. So I, I'm not saying it's impossible, but just kind of <laughs> curious about the motivation and where it came from. So it's more just kind of a graduation from one instrument to another. And probably what you're really getting after is the craft of songwriting. Absolutely. Yeah. And, uh, and I still play drums. I play drums in another band here in Brooklyn and, you know, very much enjoy it. it it's really awesome because Phil, our drummer, he plays guitar as well. So, you know, uh, he, he actually, uh, when we were recording this uh, record, Nefarious Wave, you know, at one point he's like, dude, can I just please show you something? And he showed me it. And as he was showing, he recorded it and it's on the record. Ah, you know, cool. So he actually has a guitar part on the record. He's not credited, but it's there. <laughs> <laughs> I love it, man. And, you know, speaking of the new album, Nefarious Wave, I'm, you know, there's no way not to talk about this crazy pandemic for the, the past year and a half or whatever it's been and enduring it. And I'm always kind of curious how it impacts each band I talk to. Where were you at, say, March of 2020 with this album? Was it done? Was it already recorded? <sighs> Recorded, mixed, mastered. Take me back to that time. Uh, we played our last show February 28th. Uh, we actually played two shows back to back. And our, our record was done. It was mixed. I believe it was mastered or had a, you know, we we're in the mastering portion of it. And we were, we were shopping it, hoping to, hoping to put it out, you know, in the spring. And uh, we were pretty close to having a deal in place. And then, you know, it was like, well, uh, this, uh, this, this COVID-19 thing is coming through. So why don't you come back after it's all settled? And 
you know, we weren't going to sit still, so we just kept shopping. I want to say over the winter, our drummer who uh, mixed it, uh, tracked everything except for the drums. We took the drums to a studio and had that done the, through the winter before, I believe. And I was like, man, let me take another shot. So he actually remixed it, and I think it worked out really well. The results were, you know, of just a bigger, warmer sound. It's it's uh, super proud of, of him and the job he did on it. So, yeah. Uh, that that was you know it was pretty much done throughout the pandemic uh, before the pandemic and it was you know we had the time to take a closer look a deeper dive on it and I think it really helped out. That's the fascinating part for me. Every band I talk to, it takes it a little bit differently. Like Red Fang, for example, had it done and recorded you know all mastered pandemic hits and they just sat on it. They didn't go back to it. So I'm always kind of curious. Yeah, you know, like you yourself, you guys went back and and remixed it. There's other bands that have written other songs and swapped out songs on the album or added to the album. The album ended up with a few extra tracks, so it's it's fascinating to kind of see how each band tackled that extra time they had on their hands. It was a good opportunity to to put a little more finesse on it, a little more juice to it, but I'm glad we kind of, you know, took one more shot at it and then left it alone. Otherwise, you're never done. Right, right. Yeah, you can't take three extra shots at it, just one more, one more lap, one more coat of wax, and then call it a day. Yep, yep, exactly. I love it, man. I'm loving all the, the tunes on the album. Uh, certainly cool video and cool tune with a little kind of cool message behind it for Desire Lines. Yeah. Yeah. I've always wanted to be a cartoon, and here I am. <laughs> I said I would have figured you would want to be more like Simpsons-style cartoon. I'm just kidding. I'll take that. Hell yeah. <laughs> but Ye- tell me about... Yellow, yellow three fingers. Yeah, exactly. But tell me about uh, Desire Lines in that tune. Man, uh, the, the song itself... Uh, I think was a bit of a sleeper. I think I had presented it to the band or to at least Phil. And uh, it was kind of like, man, this is really mellow. Are we sure we want to do something like this? And, you know, it's a bit more poppy than the rest of our stuff too, which I, I love. And it was really one of those things that bare bones, it was hard to receive. I think it is um, the sum of all the parts. I think you need to hear the vocal melody. You need to hear the chorus. And, I, and the whole time through, I was like, trust me, the chorus has to have these harmonies. It can't just be this one kind of monotone vocal. I think it came out great. And then, um, you know, another thing with, with the pandemic, it was like, well, we, we better get our act together. And by that, it was like, we, we have time. We might as well make as many videos as possible. You know, who knows how long this is going to last. We can't play out live. We'll do live streams. So videos was was really where we kind of hunkered down and and got as productive as possible. And Desire Lines, a good friend of mine, Dima Druchin, I believe his name, how you pronounce it, hard Russian name. Uh, He's an animator. He's a great artist. And, you know, kind of like... I had an idea of us. I'm a bike messenger in New York, and ah. our bass player, yeah, our bass player skateboards, and uh, Phil Drummer uh, used to play hockey. So I, I thought it'd be funny if I'm on a bike, Philippe is skateboarding, and we'll get Phil on roller skates. <laughs> <laughs> and uh and it was just like you know let's have a tongue-in-cheek thing where we're 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 playing at our practice space and then we we bike and skate to a venue we get to the venue it says uh world's closed everything sucks something to that effect and then we just skate back and keep playing dima he ended up doing the animation and left that part out i think just because he was like uh, trust me it's a dumb idea which in hindsight i'm glad he did because i felt like it's a little more timeless now but at that point we kind of we didn't have a story anymore so it was like well how about give this guy uh just drop uh drop something in his third eye and then the uh 
the video will progress a little more psychedelic. And whatever that something is, you can figure it out. It's like when Beavis and Butthead were in the desert. Absolutely. In the movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was a great movie. Great soundtrack, too. Oh, yeah. That was when the Rob Zombie tune kicked in in the yep. desert. Yeah. Yep. So yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think gonna... he, he did some animation for that, right? Did he? I wouldn't be surprised how talented that dude is. I thought so. I thought it was something like that. I could be wrong. Did you see he's going to do the uh, Munsters now? I'm pretty pumped on that. Dude, Uh, that's going to be so good. Yeah, you know, I know a lot of people were bummed about the Halloween movies, right? I, I thought it was good. He's not doing, is he doing the new, I know there's another Halloween coming out. Is that him as well or no? I thought it was, but I, I don't know. It's, it's some, remakes don't really get me super excited or bummed out either way. It's just, you know, I, don't, I think it's a very polarizing subject. People are like, don't mess with the original, you know. Right. Whatever. Do whatever you want. But a fresh <laughs> coat of paint on the Munster should be fun. Totally, yeah. Dude, I got to say, I love how the uh, album kicks off. <laughs> and when I played it on the radio, I've kind of just said, like, strap in for Tied to Stone. And, and I just feel like you're like a roller coaster just launching off. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think that's one of the harder things when putting a record together is track listing. You know, there's no wrong way to eat a Reese's, you know. <laughs> but uh, I, feel, I feel like it's it's another art form, right? How, how you're going to present the batch of songs. You know, it's not a concept album, so there's there's no clear cut, you know, story that it needs to follow. But I felt like when we had it all recorded, I, I believe it was it was like I think this one needs to start. You know, ramp the drums up and then just go nuts. I think it works. It does, and I was going to mention that as well. Like you speak about uh, sequencing, the, the songs really do flow into one another. Really, like I almost had to pay attention and like, wait, did the song change? Like you know, it's not like you hear like silence in between tracks all the time. It's 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 a nice. Uh, flow like i said and the sequencing i can tell that you guys spent a lot of time thinking about that yeah i i think it's just really important to me you know because it's not seven singles you know it's a, it's a complete record and, and i think it's obviously you know a thing that's being lost now where it is just like here's the songs that i wrote all on one thing have at it where I, I think it's, you know, I really like having that entire experience. You know, one of my favorite records, the uh, Songs for the Death by Queens of the Stone Age. It's loosely a concept album, but you, you listen to the entire record. When you listen to just one song, it's kind of strange, you know. I think our record's 36, 37 minutes or something. And it's like, it's it's an experience the whole way through. And, and I think our first record, we had a couple uh, segues or kind of interludes. I like that. I like just kind of peeling the end of the song right into the beginning of the next song. It's supposed to mirror our live set. I make a pretty heavy effort into keeping noise, and not just noise, but maybe a, a soft melody tying the end of one song to the beginning of another the other it, it feels like a, another another art form the sequencing the these things in between you know are, are really important to me you know you touched on uh, one thing there that uh, i was going to ask you the 10 million dollar question touring and any chance in hell you're getting to socal this year probably next year what are we thinking we're ready to go you know uh i think we used our time wisely throughout the pandemic of hunkering down knowing i mean we did i want to say like seven live streams something like that we've done a lot of, of the live streams and it's really cool that anybody has cared at all to check them out but we're we're over the live stream and, and we're ready to, <laughs> we're ready to play live in front of people you know the yes. 
two live streams ago we did at a venue here in Brooklyn called St. Vitus, the premier metal venue here. Yep. And it was our first time you know, being in a venue, having the drums mic'd up, the subs on. It was loud. It was in it. You know, there's a difference between playing in your studio versus being on a stage and feeling your feet rumble from the, you know, from the amps and everything. But right now, we did a podcast earlier, uh, Phil and myself, and, and afterwards we're talking about um, this tour we're putting together, which is just going to be uh, East Coast, Midwest for uh, September. And uh, and then, yeah, I think we're going to immediately start talking about uh, the next one and um, a month after that or so. So, you know, just trying to figure out the routing now and really, you know, who's doing what because every band on the planet is trying to do the same thing. So it is, you know, a bit of a flooded market maybe. But, um, yeah, we're just trying to ride the ride the wave, if you know what I mean. Uh, and <laughs> You know, use use the momentum that we got and, and really just try and get the good word out there and play anywhere and everywhere. I hope at some point it gets this way and, and I can't wait to see and hear all these tunes live. And, uh, you know, speaking of live, I really, really loved the uh, cover you did of Alice in Chains' Dirt and uh, wanted to touch on that for a second. I mean, it sounded like it, but I still felt like you kept true to yourself. It wasn't like you were trying to be Lane Staley. It was an honor to be asked to do it. I mean, I grew up listening to Alice in Chains. The uh, the tripod record, I remember sitting in my treehouse as a kid, just listening to that record, looking at the, uh, I was a cassette, and yeah. unfolding the cassette and the liners and the pictures, like, what? A, it was the neon green uh, cassette, mm-hmm. you know? It was, it was so strange, but I've, I've loved that band forever, still do. I think their current lineup is really awesome, too. It's unreal what they've been able to accomplish in having you know, one of the best lead singers, one of the best singers of all time pass away and then, you know, come back and do what they're doing now. So when um, Magnetic Eye, who put out our first record, when they had asked us if we wanted to do uh, Alice Chainsaw and they asked us to do Dirt, and uh, I was like, oh man, that's, that's a tough task. And one of the, you know, you, you can go one of two ways, either completely just cover the song by, to the T, or, or you go kind of, weird with it and totally mess it up and and i, I don't think we stuck to the original it, it, we wanted to change it a bit i mean it's you know it feels different and, and i think the hardest thing is to not try and sound like lane staley you know you you go and sing that song just the intro like how do you how do you get uh, away from sounding or singing it like you know i've been singing that song for you know 20 years how do i not <laughs> sing it like that anymore so th- that was the toughest thing and you know, once we started playing it as a band, it really just kind of came together, and and I think we kind of shifted the tempos to to feel feel dingier. It really helped that uh, our new bass player Philippe sings incredibly, so we were able to lock those harmonies in, which is you know for me, I'm not going to try and do that song if we can't sing those the the, the harmonies that are in the chorus and everything, and the, it, not everywhere, no, the whole song really. Yeah, I mean that that's but, the Alice in Chains sound is the the dual harmonies is Jerry and Lane. Yeah, gotta have it. Yeah, without a doubt, gotta have that. And it's amazing how much you know. I never really, I don't know if I saw him back in the day with Lane, but uh, paying attention to him now, it's like I never realized how much Jerry sings. Yeah, yeah, it's incredible. Um, we were just talking about this the other day. Of I watched a, uh, it was just uh, the new lead singer William Duvall. I think his name is. Yeah, yeah. 
it was just Jerry Cantrell and William Duvall. They were like at a college in a library, you know, just playing acoustic. And I think they played the song, The One You Know, which is, I don't know, off of one of their newer records. Yeah, love that and, tune. And, and it's just the two guys singing with their acoustic guitars. And it was perfect. I mean, it was so insane. Like, man, these guys, you can tell this is, they work on this, you know, and it's, and it's if, if you're not, singing it perfect there's no substitutions and it's just incredible i definitely look up to him as a, a songwriter singer and and just a, that composition too of, of those the weirder harmonies you know they're not just all fifths they're, they go for some weird stuff yeah i mean that's what i'm saying like they dude wrote riffs he could solo he could sing like he it's funny i kind of group those 90s bands together i call it lovingly the flannel five for that that decade that era uh, of bands you know alice soundgarden pearl jam nirvana s I throw in the mix, even though they're not from Seattle, I still think they fit in there. But I really, I do too. Good, yeah. Talk about those bands for a second. It's always tough. Yeah, I, I consider STP right there um, as well. I mean, they had the sound, and it was within the same years. Um, it's really hard to to pick. You know, uh, I think what I could do is I never fell in love with Pearl Jam. They they never did it for me. I felt like they were um, they felt like classic rock. Yeah. Even though it was yep. modern. hundred percent with you there. Um, well, I think, you know, a lot of it was, I never felt, uh, they never felt dangerous to me, <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, which, you know, is, is fine. Like REM doesn't feel dangerous to me either. <laughs> and I, and I love that band, <laughs> but, um, yeah, that's so, it's so hard. I mean, obviously it would be impossible to pick my favorite out of those, but you know, somebody like Chris Cornell, how, how you get all these amazing singers out of, out of these bands, like, uh, Chris Cornell, when he passed, it was, it, I, I was, I was amazed of how much it kind of shook me. Like I, I, I'm getting chills thinking about it right now. Like, I mean, just the guy's voice and not only that, but the, you know, he played guitar and wrote and like wrote. untouchable in terms of talent. And I think, Think I'd be shocked if there was another band like Soundgarden that came out ever, you know. And and Kim Sale, I mean, I mean Ben Shepard playing his, his bass parts were so weird and out <laughs> there, and it's it's impossible to try and pick your favorite out of any of those, you know. And, and Stone Temple Pilots is so, and even their uh, what was it the the early two thousands record? Uh, uh, well, the one with the star on it. Oh yeah, yeah, Fort it was in number four. Fort, they had yeah. uh, Down that song, Down and and Down, Sour Girl, Sour Girl. Yeah. Uh, my favorite song on that is Atlanta. It's a really chill, acoustic, slow burner. Uh, but, you know, at the end, it op- opens up with the orchestra. But people would give uh, Scott Weiland's voice like gruff for having that 90s tinge. But he had, I think he had an incredible voice and so much character to it. And, you, you know, I think the, the thing of a great voice is you can feel the pain or, you know, kind of the opposite of Pearl Jam is like, this guy kind of sounds dangerous. Right. You know, and, and I really liked Velvet Revolver too. I think the the contraband record ruled. Yeah, there were some jams on that album for sure. And it's a shame that that never really kind of got to go the distance. Something that awesome can't exist for that long, maybe. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I, that's, well, that's the deal with supergroups, right? And, and, Geez, I mean, Audio Slave, that first record ruled too. I don't know if you can really expect too much from supergroups, right? Give me one or two records and then go do your solo thing or back to the band that made you big in the first place, maybe. Yeah, go go home. You know, it just dawned on me, Chris Cornell, a dude that played drums in the beginning. Right. I always forget about that. 
Yeah, I appreciate all the time, man. I just got to hit you with one last band we have to discuss before I let you go because we're an old school radio station that still does it every single night, 10 p.m. We call it Mandatory Metallica. So I wanted to worship at the altar of Metallica for a second. You got to be a fan, right? I think it took me a while because, I don't know, I I just always had Enter Sandman slammed down my face. (laughs) And, uh, you know, it was one of those things I, I just, I immediately will push a band away that's getting slammed in my face like no I'll, I'll discover it on my own so it took me a while uh, until I was a, a grown man I didn't like it as a kid it didn't feel dangerous enough to me I was I was more into Pantera you know at the time I felt like that was my Metallica and then I went and discovered it on my own uh, you know and started with Master of Puppets and it was wait a second how come nobody showed me this <laughs> <laughs> you know I think I, I started there and went backwards through the earlier stuff Kill em All is it's such a it's like a happy record you know like when I listen to that it, it, they sound like kids and it makes me want to smile you know <laughs> it reminds me of like fresh leather I don't know <laughs> it sounds like it was recorded in a bathroom at the high school right yeah I've totally been there it's like I could make this record I didn't I won't you know it's it's legendary but it's like it feels you, you almost feel close to the band listening to it yeah I, and I agree too uh, Master of Puppets are their masterpiece I'd say so yeah, I mean, uh, you know, I'm not I'm not into ranking or, or making choices like that, but that's just my particular favorite one. Now, if you go back through Ride the Lightning and listen to that, you're like, oh, yeah, but this one's pretty great, too. Impossible. I won't make you pick your favorite album, but I do need you to pick your favorite tune. You're kind of co-hosting it with me, so you get to pick a tune for Mandatory Metallica. Saint Anger. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> battery. Battery track one on Master of Puppets. Yeah, just kick it right in the face. Get into it. Beautiful, man. Thank you so much for the time and the tunes. And uh, yeah, I can't wait till you get out here on the West Coast eventually. Absolutely. I'll be here. Thank you.